Welcome back to the Noon Podcast. Today's episode will be filled with captivating stories and heartfelt camaraderie. Join me as I delve into the world of Carl and Eli, two remarkable EMS professionals and lifelong friends. Prepare for a roller coaster of emotions as we explore their funny, sad, and serious stories from their years of working together. Through witty banter and genuine friendship, Carl and Eli's bonds shine bright. Their shared experiences have forged an unbreakable connection that will keep you entertained and engaged. This episode will unveil a beautiful narrative of resilience and support. Together, they've faced countless challenges, inspiring us with their triumphs. So sit back, relax, and let Carl and Eli's captivating journey unfold before your ears. Let's begin. Welcome, Carl and Eli, to the 911 Nonsense Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Can I get an introduction, Carl? Yeah, my name's uh, Carl. Right now, I live in uh, Fort Worth, Texas. I've been in EMS for about 13, 14 years now, and I recently got accepted from nursing school. That's awesome. Congratulations, man. Thank you. And Eli, do you mind giving me an introduction? Yep. I'm Eli. I am currently located in Orlando, Florida. Been here for two years. I'm currently a emergency medicine resident physician. Uh, I was a paramedic. I got my paramedic in 2011. Had my MT intermediate before that, but didn't work. I was a zero to hero from basic intermediate. And then there you go. <laughs> on the medic. But right now I'm not actually working on a truck or anything like that. I work in the emergency department. So yeah, you don't have any time to work on an ambulance anymore. Yeah, I don't have time to do anything, but they got you busting your butt in the ER. Yeah. That's really cool though. Like, cause you're doing DO, right? Yeah. So I got my degree in two years ago, so 2021. And so DOMD, you can match in anything now. Uh, got into an emergency medicine program here in Orlando, which is where Kira's parents live. So now I'm just waiting for that. I'm going to apply to an EMS fellowship. Actually, I apply here in August. I'm getting my application ready. Today, I worked with uh, three of the four program directors. So I'm trying to move towards that now. Cool. That's really exciting. It's uh, it's really cool to see where our paramedics have kind of floated off and run off to. So you actually, Carl, you reached out to me and you told me that you wanted to be on the podcast, but you very specifically told me <laughs> that you can only do it if Eli did it with you. <laughs> what made you reach out? So just listening to the podcast, uh, the first couple episodes seemed really cool, recognizing some of the voices of people uh, me and Eli used to work with. And me and Eli at one point in time were the youngest crew on the streets in town. And how young were you? 21. That was the minimum age to work at the ambulance company. At the time for insurance purposes, right? Correct, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't think they would allow, uh, and I think the rules have changed since then, but before it was the insurance companies wouldn't let you drive the actual ambulance until you were 21. Yeah, that was probably a smart decision considering the, one of the stories that'll probably uh, come out through this podcast. So <laughs> well, go ahead and share it. <laughs> <laughs> so going under uh, the embarrassing part of our careers, um, <laughs> we uh, everyone knows when you drive an ambulance onto a hangar to pick up a patient transfer, it is very, very protective. Um, you have to be on your toes. They have very specific places you need to park. And you're always supposed to use a backer. 100% of the time, use a backer. And for whatever reason, me and Eli got in a little argument, and I got overconfidence. That is, Eli said, let me back I said, no, no, we're good. And he said, oh, fine, you're good. Go ahead, just back up. So he stayed seated next to me, and we just back on up, and um, right into a hangar door. Oh. So we actually caused, it's probably still there at that uh, airport, 
Um, because I hear those doors are pretty costly to replace. Yes. <laughs> yes, they but are. But <laughs> we got in a lot of trouble for that. Yeah, I just remember you. I was like, "You're gonna hit the. You're gonna hit the building." And he's like, "No, I'm not." I'm like, "Fine, you're not gonna hit the building." And <laughs> I should have been. I should have been backing you up. Okay, let's just say, like, I wasn't. I'm over there charting away, and then he hits the building, and then he scoots forward and just waits there. And then the guy comes over, like, "Did you guys like hit the building or bang?" We're like, "I don't know. I don't think so." <laughs> <laughs> surprised you guys both still had a job we got very lucky and i got super lucky because i was on loss of good standing and i still got sponsored for medic school through that so (laughs) got lucky that's all i can say about that that is getting lucky holy smokes i don't remember hitting anything in the ambulance but i i've gotten hit a couple of times in the ambulance and we got lucky um so what got you into ems carl so I was in Navy. Um, I got a medical separation very early on. I don't consider myself a veteran. I didn't earn the title, in my opinion. Um, and I was supposed to be a computer nerd. That's what I wanted to do. That's what I started out with. And I just wanted to change it up. I didn't want a desk job. So I was like, what's the next thing I do? So I looked into firefighting. And I found out that you have to be an EMT basic to start that up at the time. Now I know it's changed. But... I decided to get my license and then started working up for a transport company, gained my intermediate license, and then I wanted to continue on for medic and it just left from there. I found out that I enjoy the love of medicine over doing what fire does. I was in a uh, firefighter one program and I had to drop that to work because I was like, maybe we get the experience. It'll help me get hired over the firefighter one, but it's all worked out for me and it's a been a huge benefit. Uh, Eli, what got you into medicine? So it's actually very similar to Carl's, um, but I, uh, first of all, wasn't supposed to be a computer nerd. Carl still is a computer nerd. <laughs> though he I, can, I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> you bought a mic just for this. Uh, so <laughs> I was uh, going to, I didn't like know what I wanted to do. I was doing some like engineering thing. I was like, math sucks. So I was like, what else can I do? And then I like firefighter, like I've met a lot of prerequisites. So I'm like, oh, that sounds cool. So let me start doing that. Same kind of thing where, like, to be a firefighter, you have to be an EMT basic. So I was like, let me take the EMT basic course. And in the EMT basic course, I I was like, this is this is awesome. I love this. And then and then I became a medic. But And then I went through intermediate. Uh, still didn't work, but loved it. And then into paramedic school. And that's where I was like, yeah, this is this is what I want to do. Did do my firefighter one. Didn't drop out to work for uh, a company. I finished. But uh, then, uh, yeah, that, that's it. Then I just kept wanting more medicine, more medicine. Now I'm kind of like, that's, that's a lot of medicine. It is. That is a lot of medicine. I actually started out as a volunteer firefighter and they didn't require that I had my EMT or anything. So I was able to get it uh, once I was hired. And I also completed my fire one and it started working on my fire two before I actually moved up here to, uh, to Albuquerque and started with the local company here. Would you say, because I know both of you guys are migrating your way out of the 911 service. Would you say that you liked your job? When you worked on the ambulance or for a 911 service? So I I did. I miss working on this truck. I don't miss it so much I want to go back to it. It has its moments. The adrenaline pumping times really, really get to me. Where the issue is they work you to the ground and you're doing call after call after call, little to no downtime. It's one of the professions where you're not federally mandated to have a break. You just keep going. Um and the the toll it takes on your family and your mental health is a lot so i appreciate that all the time i had i've learned a lot but 
it's not something I want to go back to because right now I work in hospital and it's one of the best jobs I have right now have had. I think, I think it's a love hate relationship, right? Like I think about times when I would go to a call, you know, you have a camaraderie with your partner, you have camaraderie, you get to know the firefighters, you get to go on the scene, you get to go say, Hey, what's up to everybody. You treat a really critical patient. You get that adrenaline or you go to see some weird shit, right? You're just like, what the hell? And you're like, I got these great stories. And then there's other times where you're like, I hate my damn life. And so then you're like, I don't want to do this. I am being run down. My wife has a shirt that's a joke. And she goes, my husband's a paramedic. Yes, he exists. No, I don't know when he's going to be home. And <laughs> and so there's there's things like that. But then there's also times where I'm like, man, I kind of miss doing that, those kind of things. But there's also, we can get into this a little later too, but there's something about being an EMS that sticks with you a little bit differently than being in the hospital. Like you see some, still you still see some shit in the hospital, right? But seeing people in their homes and their situation and their family around them, it just hits a little different. Right. Being, being there in that, in that moment with those people and feeling the emotion, the emotions that are there is different. You know, it's easy for, for when you're walking into the hospital and they're like, well, uh, you know, what was going on? What's the history? Well, I don't know. I didn't get that. The patient can't talk. (laughs) You know, I can guess but I agree, it is different. The The emotional experience is more touching, I think, when you're working on a on a bus. Yeah, and that's hard for me in my current situation to, to communicate with. So there's a couple of medics actually in my in my program with me, but the vast majority aren't, right? It's very, it's a, it's a more rare. And I'm like, you know, guys, I get it. Like nurse, you go to a nursing home, every day it's there, not their patient. I get it, no worries, we'll figure it out. And so it's hard to communicate that, but I think it's good, like seeing, on, you know, having that experience on, on this side of it. And, uh, but it's definitely, there's definitely a different emotional attachment. The big thing that also add on to all that is if you work in hospital, that is where your stress is. The moment you walk out of the hospital, that's left at the hospital. One of the big things that when you work on an ambulance in the city you live in, every corner is a reminder of a situation you're a part of positive or negative and a lot of the times you just remember the negative and you get that whether like you're driving down the street there's an ambulance going by and you're like oh shit or i was in the i was in the store the other day and some uh there were some firefighters and their alarm went off and it was the same alarm (laughs) i know i know that you guys aren't old enough but i still hear like pager beeps and i get like oh i gotta go to work (laughs) you know the pager beeps we used to carry pagers back in the day I still carry pagers. I need <laughs> one too true. for my job now. <laughs> is it the Vocera or is it an actual pager? Actual pager. Ooh. I have an actual pager. Yeah, that's terrible. Well, <laughs> I, it's our Welcome cake. to the pain. <laughs> it's it's so, archaic. I don't get it. It is. That is very archaic. I mean, even the Voceras are a little more updated. Um, what would you say in your time in EMS or in the hospital has been like the craziest thing that you've ever seen, Eli? The craziest thing I've seen is not in the hospital. It's still, I mean, I've been in the hospital for two years, right? And and we're not at a trauma center, but I do rotate at a trauma center. I have seen some crazy stuff at a trauma center, though. I've I recently had a shark bite. This guy almost lost his arm. It's pretty cool. But anyway. Oh, yeah. Uh, we don't see that a lot here in New Mexico. <laughs> no, it's been happening more often. It's interesting. <laughs> but uh, there's this one call I had. I'll never forget this. guy on tramway, a uh, motorcycle going 100 miles an hour, T-boned a truck. He went through the door, through the center post, it was a four-door truck, through the woman in the passenger seat into the back seat. And I get on scene, and I know the medic on scene, and he goes, 
she's in PEA arrest, traumatic PEA arrest. I can't find his head. And I was like, I'm gonna go find his head. So I go over there and I was like, this is, this is great. So I go in there and his head was attached. It was just in a black helmet. But that one, that was one of the things that stands out. But, you know, we, <laughs> after so many years, you know, a lot of these things also blend together. And then I think uh, also there's something about this, you know, traumatic stress, right? So we have traumatic stress in this. It's also why we are good friends and all of us can come together like this and just pick up right where we're left off because there's actually a little bit of trauma bonding but we forget so much of them, right? Then some of these things I have to be reminded of. I'm like, oh yeah, I remember that. That was funny. Yeah. <laughs> um, or that was crazy. You're right. And so, but that one stands out. And then in the hospital, you just, you know, there's a lot of just don't ever ride a motorcycle. Yeah. <laughs> don't ever ride a motorcycle. That's true. <laughs> Gotta say I get good gas mileage. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they all do till they don't. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a good reason, girl. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Oh, the, the enjoyment of it. It's just the wind flowing through your helmet. <laughs> yeah, no, I sold mine as soon as I moved up into Albuquerque because the traffic here is insane. What's the craziest thing that you've seen, Carl? So my craziest one, um, get called out for a drunk patient that is uh, on a, a trail in the middle of February. And we find... Uh, a bystander waving us down. We walk towards them, have our gurney out, and they're pointing to this individual that's laying on the ground. We get closer, and we see that the person's naked. Get even closer, looks like we see some breasts. Get closer, see a five o'clock shadow. Then we realize the breasts were stress balls that were super glued to their chest. We are uh, unresponsive, breathing, has a pulse, load them up on the gurney, fire gets there. They jump the ambulance with us, turn the heat way up. Obviously the patient's cold and the patient starts waking up. We're trying to figure out like what's going on. And they're just mumbling and not making any coherent sense the whole time. Start fighting against us. We get a line in them. We get uh, Verset on board because they're starting to throw punches at fire. And I noticed that there's a wire around this patient's waist and I can't see a penis. There's none to be seen and i go follow where this wire is it was actually wrapped halfway up the shaft um and then pulled into his own rectum the hanger wire was holding it in place so i had to cut the wire to be able to remove the penis from his own rectum so i'd say that's the craziest thing that i have seen on uh on the rig. Mm. And what what did you use to cut the wire? Oh, I always had a Leatherman on me. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so you left the hanger in his in his ass? Oh, no, that was never in it. That was just holding it there. It oh. was wrapped up there and bent around so that I would hold it in place. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Wow. Found out later on that this individual has been to the ER on multiple occasions for foreign bodies in the rectum. Not surprising, I guess. <laughs> you know, some people, there's... Is there a term for that? You know, some people like to swallow random things. Is there a term for people shoving stuff up their rectums? Reverse pica? I'm, I'm looking at you, Dio. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. You know who does now? Dr. Google. Dr. Google. 
<laughs> I would have to say I have some pretty good like cop stories, but I think one of my favorites was um, we got called out for an ETOH patient and we got called to an intersection and us and fire were there and there was no patient. But like probably half a mile up, you could see the cop cars all kind of in a circle. So we're like, well, that's probably where they're at. So we'll just head up that way. So we head up and there's this lady laying in the middle of the street, clearly wasted. Like, I won't take away from that. She was clearly intoxicated. She was yelling in pain. And when you walk up, you notice that basically both her legs are broken. And you're like, okay, PD, she's intoxicated, but she's been hit by a car. Like, really? Come on. What is the priority here? <laughs> I got I got one that happened like last year that was very similar. So we get this, you, uh, I don't know what we call it in New Mexico, but it's a Baker Act here. It's where the psych hold for 72 hours. Uh-huh. So we get this Baker Act that came in and I go in there and they're like, yeah, this guy, he's not making any damn sense. I'm, I don't know what's going on. I go in there and the guy's like, hello, hello, hello. and they're like, yeah, he was at the, the restaurant over here. Wasn't making any sense. So I tried to talk to him for four hours. I decided to Baker Act him, brought him in. The guy was having a massive stroke. And yeah. the PD was on scene. They were just like, eh, I can't figure out what he's saying. So I'm just going to Baker Act him. Psych hold. Well, Along uh, broken legs and talking about motorcycles, when me and Eli were partners, we ran a call with a uh, truck versus motorcycle. We get on scene and we're taking care of the big three, make sure neuro's intact, circulation, he's breathing. And then we see this kid taking pictures of his leg. And we're like, dude, get, get the fuck out of here. Like, why are you here? He was taking a picture of his leg because one was six inches out further from his pants than the other one. <laughs> He had a amputation at the knee, below the knee, and it just. Oh. <laughs> yeah. And both Carl and I were like, yeah. he was like, take a picture of his leg. He said, both of us at the same time. What's wrong with his leg? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's not attached anymore. <laughs> the motorcyclist had no idea. Yeah, he did it. He was pissed. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Ooh, that's. <laughs> How do you not even know? <laughs> That's crazy. He was so mad at the truck. So uh, along that route, what would you say has been one of the worst things that you've ever seen? Like something that affects you personally, if you feel comfortable talking about it. So yes, mine is a pretty comprehensive story. I uh, get called out to a standby situation and we're there for about two hours, probably the longest standby I've ever been on as a medic. And uh, we finally get cleared. We see an individual sitting on the curb, and as we get closer, realize that it's someone that everyone knew. There was a GSW involved, and the patient was able to breathe, able to understand what was going on at the time, and it was an individual that my partner went through medic school with. And we get go to the hospital, everything, he was in great condition for the circumstances. So fast forward, I feel like I had to be a tough individual for my partner to go through that um, instance because that was a very sensitive time for everyone that was involved. And oh, I'm so sorry, I was an EMT at this point. And now a year or two later, I'm in medic school and we're doing a PALS test out. And that individual walks into my classroom. I am petrified. I feel like it is, if he sees me, it's going to remind him of the worst day of his life because he no longer working in the field, not able to. 
I end up stepping out of the classroom like three or four times collecting myself and one of my classmates just straight up asked, hey, Carl, are you okay? I ended up breaking down like a 12-year-old schoolgirl who broke up with her birth first boyfriend. It was a horrible situation. One of the instructors for most of the day took me out and we just talked. Come back, the individual didn't even remember two weeks before or six months after. Had no idea that I was even part of it. And all that instance for him, because he got in that situation, was because of a, he had a call that he couldn't manage. So there have actually been a couple times me and him have given presentations on how bad PTSD in the field can mess with you if not handled correctly. Neither one of us handled it good. So that would be the biggest hit on my mental health. One of, I should say, one of the biggest hits to my mental health um, was experiencing that. And that's crazy too, because like, it's so crazy how things affect us as individuals, because I mean, ultimately this guy ended up having a good outcome. It sounds like, right? Because he was able to still move on and, and maybe not necessarily be in the field, but he was still doing what he wanted to do. Right. And that still had such a profound impact on you because you felt like you had to bolster up for your partner that day. It's just crazy, right? How things affect us individually. One of my good friends, we went for a, an unconscious female, and it ended up being one of his family members. And he was on scene, and he was like, can I ride with you in the ambulance? Because we're transporting her code three. She has pulses, but she's not breathing. And I told him, you can ride. You know, this. you can sit up in the front as long as you're not causing any problems. Like, you know the rules. And I love that guy so much, but I felt like I had to front that also and then didn't want to work with him after that because I felt like I couldn't handle the emotional trauma, I guess. And she ended up passing away. She had a, a big uh, aneurysm that blew and I couldn't bring myself to work with that individual anymore because I felt like I was going to remind him of that day also. And that made me sad. But I also didn't confront him on it. I didn't ask him how he felt about it. And now it's been like five or six years and he's gone on to bigger, better things. So I guess I could talk to him now, but <laughs> I just got to reach out. <laughs> that's that's the hard thing, yeah. Yeah, and it, it affected me as an individual and wasn't even that bad of a call, you know? How about you, Eli? What you got? A couple things come to mind. Uh, that story from Carl, there was another individual just that I know about. This is just something to add to that that situation where it was a different individual but handled his stress from that call that was so bad wrong in a different way and uh went into substance use and is no longer uh, able to work as well so that and you know there's just yeah. a lot of different ones. so i was actually on that call that the other two were on and that uh it was a bad i like i got goosebumps talking about it um that was a really bad pediatric call <sighs> one that i feel wasn't or didn't get any justice in any in any form then and, and it should have and that's really sad i don't i don't even remember seeing it in the news and that's one of those ones where you're like, what the fuck? Like, how, what kind of justice are we doing for these babies? All this other bullshit makes it on the news, but the ones that were there for it were like, the math isn't mathing right now. Yeah, right. And it, so just to, to be clear, um, it was a baby that was essentially raped to death. And it was a very young, young baby who had bite marks and bruises, wasn't worked because the baby had been had been dead for so long that when by the time the EMS got there it was too late 
And I believe the dad at the time, uh, who's the perp, was high on either meth or some other substance. And yeah, that one was a really, that one was a rough call. Me and my partner went and sat down with the on-duty supervisor uh, that day for probably about an hour and a half to two hours before we finished out that shift. It's funny too, like how it's how it's affected, like neither of you guys were on that call, but both of you were affected like a ripple, you know? Yeah. The, you had the people that were directly affected by that call and then you had the people that were affected because of of those people's decisions after that call. So that's it's really crazy to think that only one call, you know, one call out of what I think at the time when I left the local service here, we were at 115 a year, 115,000. Sounds right, yeah. It's, it's, yeah, so one call out of all of those had such a huge ripple effect on so many of us. Um, I remember hearing about the Victoria Martins case for the first time, and I wasn't even on that call, but I felt for those providers for walking in and if you're listening and you don't know it, uh, Victoria Martins was sold by her mother um, for drugs at a very young age. She was 10. And ultimately, they ended up finding her after some crazy 911 calls. They found Victoria dismembered in a bathtub. Then they were trying to burn her. They were trying to, to I'm assuming, destroy the evidence. And the legal action from that case has not been very good either. What's crazy is I worked in a pediatric ER and individuals that were involved in that situation that were not in jail or prison were coming in with other little children for similar situations, similar circumstances. And we understand that CPS has a very difficult job. And they have an even higher turnover rate than medics do. But that is definitely an area that we had great concern with, that someone that was involved in that situation interacting with kids of similar age. Yeah, no, that's nuts. So getting back to where we were, um, Eli, you were going to tell us what uh, maybe one or some of your worst calls were. So they, I mean, I feel like this is true for most people is it's, Oh, uh, for the most part, it's involving children, right? Where we, yeah. everybody has a soft spot, right? And so there's two that particularly stand out. And one of them, I actually can say the patient's name. It was actually televised. I had to go to court for it. I was on the stand and everything. And he was a nine-year-old who was um, kicked in the stomach by his mom to death. And uh, so I was with Rachel Winnicamp and uh, we were switching calls. We were both medics. And I was actually not even medical on this call, um, but we were both medics. It's just she was in the back. And we were on San Mateo and Montgomery, and we were the closest unit to this uh, unresponsive nine-year-old. So we get there, and we're the first on scene. And I'll never forget, never, clear as day, the stepdad walking out with a cigarette in his mouth, shoving two other kids out of the way. And I go in there with the officers. To the left, there's the kitchen, and mom's there talking to the officers, and there's the patient on a bed in a living room. And he's just halfway on the bed. And I'm the first one on the patient's side. Officer's there. Rachel's there. I don't feel a pulse. And the, I'll, the officer what? I was like, I don't feel a pulse. So we move him on the ground. I get the airway, work him. Um, we're not getting anything. We decide with this situation, something's weird. Mom's story is like he was playing with his sister on the bed, fell back, something like that. I don't remember the particulars because I don't want to. And then so we're like, well, let's just get him out of here. 
this does he, we just join him even if he's dead let's just not have him in this place and he died so uh ends up you know that uh at least my understanding is that uh, our memory uh, is that mom kicked him to death and that one stands out because when we talk about ptsd just bringing that in a little bit i would go to like the lake with my family and there would be something that brought up to like my sister or something like that and that would come to mind and i remember one time being at the lake and drinking and i broke down because of this and i was like like almost staring at the fire and i'm like i think i think this bothers me and and then that was where i had an epiphany i'm like yeah that this is uh this is real and then the other one kind of ties back into what i was talking about where it's different in the family setting and it was another kid but she had cp she was i think six or eight and it was like christmas cerebral palsy just to clarify yeah go ahead so chronically ill trach trach patient she's you know nonverbal already just chronically ill patient and it's christmas eve they would they went to these mountains to uh have dinner with their family on the way back get the kid out of the car and they know she's not breathing so they didn't know she thought she was asleep it was late at night and so we worked this code uh but the one thing i'll never forget is i'm sitting there they're doing cpr and i have the browser tape i'm looking here and i look up and we're in the living room patients in the middle of the floor and i see in the bedroom i see the little brother and the mom holding each other crying and for some reason that that right there i was like even now i think about it and i'm like that family's life i mean think about christmas forever and yeah yeah that that uh those kind of things just kind of stand out a little bit but the interesting things were i was training a guy on that one and uh she had a she had a trach right and i gave him the bvm without the mask and he's brand new basic brand new basic i'm like all right you got a ventilator he goes okay and he tries to seal her whips around the end of the and i looked down like what do you no and so I had to tell him what to do. He ended up cutting her lip. <laughs> and so that gets back sad. But he cut her lip. And then the mom, when she came over, when he pronounced her dead, mom was like, what happened? And we had to tell her and be like, this is what happened. But um, yeah, I never, ex- I never imagined. Like, I think I take for, I think we all kind of do take for granted when we have new people that have never done this. Like, maybe they need a little explanation. But yeah, right. Definitely explain that tube connects to the other <laughs> tube in the neck, not well, you, not the mouth. You think so? <laughs> yeah. Well, to add two things to your story, Eli, one of the biggest things that I remember from working in the PDR was we are working a, a teenager that hung herself and unconscious, unresponsive, intubated by the time she gets to uh, RER. But the big thing that I vividly remember is that is this big macho tattooed individual just hearing his screams just crying over his daughter that is something that hits hard that's a hard one yeah. family being on scene for those is terrible but so i know i have an interesting take on it from the medic standpoint eli's situation was talking about his pediatric uh COVID got transported most situations, um, I know medics transport those kids and all it does when they know it is a dead child, they are spreading the trauma. That was one of the topics I talked about. Um, I think it was with Colton. Do we do that for us because we think maybe there will be a miracle or we do that to the family, like maybe to give them a little bit of hope or, you know, like, are we being selfish when we transport kids like that? And that anybody who's had a child or pediatric code has run that through their heads, you know? 
and it is spreading the trauma. But in Eli's case, like for safety, yes, I I don't blame you, Eli, for transporting that kid, even though you didn't have that's pulses. an appropriate situation. Yeah. Well, we also this was like a huge decision. It was like it was like a big giant. It was a big giant thing because I agree. Like we, I mean, we we didn't transport the 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 cerebral palsy child either. Felt it on scene, stuff like that. I think there are certain circumstances, and and it's just like what you were saying earlier, Sam. There's a ripple effect, and you're spreading that ripple. And and we do want to protect each other, you know, from these things. Like now, also people always want to talk to me about like their stories about kids. I'm like, I don't want to hear your stories about kids anymore. I'm like, no, don't tell me these things. <laughs> I've got my own bad trauma. Yeah, yeah like, <laughs> and then that, please don't. That came up now recently too. Is um, I got to be very careful with how much I share what I share with this, but. A very, very. I just got out of the pediatric, pediatric ICU. Pediatric. Yeah, pediatric. <laughs> I'm a little tired. Um, You're a doctor. Yeah, I'm on three hours. Um, so anyway, <laughs> so uh, this kid got very, very, very abused for months, and uh, mom ended up being in that field, which is interesting as well. But uh, like, burned, locked in a cage, had a brain bleed like lots of things ends up like has a good outcome but i remember being in that in that room and i had to take a breath i was like i i this is heavy and it's gonna be heavy no matter what but it does bring up some previous memories yeah you know i i've said this a couple times too i don't share all of my stories because i don't want to break people and you know we get into this job knowing that we're going to see really shitty things and we're going to do really shitty things and it's hard because we feel, in my case specifically, I don't like share. I love to share. Don't get me wrong. I love sharing stories. That was part of my motivation for doing this was getting to hang out and share stories with people um, and other people in the field. And I miss doing that, you know, standing outside of the truck or being in the ER and hanging out and sharing stories with people. There are certain stories you just don't share, and we need to break that stigma because we need to feel comfortable talking about it. And I think that, you know, there's a lot of ignorance to what we do, and I don't think it's intentional ignorance. I think that people don't want to know what we do because it's sad and it's hard. Well, to go off that, working in hospital, even the our own peers that we work with don't fully understand um, ER. Those nurses have a good understanding of what medics do. Outside of the ER, we're just considered lower level licensed people. That is a big vibe of what I get in my current place of employment. And I have issues with it every day because they judge me based off just what my license is. They don't know what my experience is. They don't even know what I'm fully capable to do under my own license. I had a call at a nursing home where the patient had a broken ankle. The x-ray was taken earlier in the day. They found out, hey, this person needs to come in here to the hospital. She's going to need surgery on this. So I get there. Just moving the patient a little bit, her leg was in excruciating pain. So to move her to the gurney, I just gave her some fentanyl. Nurse comes up and says, what doctor gave you the order to do that? I'm like, no, no doctor did. I have a medical director, but no, no doctor gave me an order. She's like, you're not allowed to do that. I'm like, Yes, yes, I am. My license allows me to, and the narcotics I carry for my job says I can as well. So there is a huge back and forth. Her, She actually got in contact with her medical director to call our medical director to make sure I was doing the appropriate thing. So it's just a misunderstanding across the board of no one understanding each other's job. And that comes back to even one of the podcasts with, with Rob and how he was talking about like his stories 
And he was like, this doesn't leave me, right? He's like, I've learned to be able to talk about it. I've learned to be able to to discuss these things, right? There's a lot of stories here. Like, yeah, you may forget them, but there's going to be something that can bring it up. And like like Carl was saying back home, driving down the road, something's going to bring it up. Yep. Do you have any any stories that like, I mean, Carl's story earlier about the penis in the butthole was a little out there. But are there any other stories that you like, that you feel like you just can't, like you can't believe and nobody would believe you? So I had, I had this one guy one time. This is just a funny story, but it's a little bit like, I can't believe this guy thought of this. So we were, um, it was me and Anthony Montbrand, uh, and we were on a way to a motorcycle accident. We get there, and this guy, it's just his mo- motorcycle, and uh, he's on the ground. And he's like, yeah, so I was over there drinking with my buddies, and I seen his motorcycle go by, and I'm like, that's my motorcycle. So I went over there, and I tackled the guy. That was with me. <laughs> oh, I was with you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very different people. Come on, anyway. <laughs> you completely different people. Well, this guy's like, yeah. So I tackled the guy off of my motorcycle, and we're like, we're like, that's genius. You can't prove him wrong. Like he was in the median, covered with rocks, scrapes all over him, and Petey's like, well, we we can't do anything about this. <laughs> I was just like, that's that's yeah, that's that's one of them that's uh that's out there. I also remember one time with. With Carl, we had this, well, it was a bad call too, but they ended up being kind of okay. These two 17-year-olds flipped their car, and I'll never forget, we were going as fast as we could up sail. Like, we are blowing everything. We even had, like, officers stopping everything. We get on scene, we get these this girl loaded up, and we start rolling out. And um, once again, we're going, as Carl's driving as fast as he can down, and then all the officers are stopping all the traffic. And uh, anyway. A crazy call with Eli. Or maybe it was you, Sam. Who knows? Who knows? Uh, <laughs> we get called for a uh, shooting, a GSW, um, and we're told to stay. The rule is like a block up, block over, wherever the scene is, until PD is able to clear the scene. We were a block up and block over from the dispatch information that was given to us. We're looking in this large courtyard area. We see someone just sitting there. We're just thinking, all right, some guy just chilling in the middle of the night, 2 a.m., Around the corner of the building of where this guy is sitting, we see about four or five PD officers in a line, guns drawn, pointing at the guy sitting down on the ground. (laughs) Next thing we hear over the radio, all EMS get out of the red zone. So you were inadvertently in the, in the like safety area. That happened with me and Benigiri where we were going to the East mountains, no radio service at all. And we're going to this domestic violence and we're down this freaking middle of dirt road bouncing all around. Like, where is this damn, where is this place? And then we just see this guy in the middle of the road walking towards us with a rifle. And we're like, we need the backup. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, that's crazy. (laughs) He's just coming at you. Like, come on, motherfuckers. (laughs) You got a rifle. Well, the first MCI call I had um, as a medic was guy decided to just drive on the sidewalk where there are about 30 plus homeless people and goes over all of them. The first patient we walk up to, he's face up and back up at the same time. Oh. So that was a black tag immediately. And that, that was the first MCI I had to deal with was, was that. That's crazy. That was pretty crazy. (laughs) You're like, what's going on here? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We should find a time, Carl, to tell about the gunshot wound of the bicep. Well, Eli, since you brought it up. So we have this call. (laughs) You might as well talk about it now. (laughs) 
Third of the Gulf. We're once again standing by forever. It's a gunshot wound. It's in, you know, South Valley somewhere. And we're waiting, 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 waiting. We get there. We're, we're finally cleared. We get over there and we're in this backyard. This guy got, sh- like, he was hanging out with his friend in his garage, got shot. Only a gun- gunshot wound to his bicep. And uh, we're there. And then Carl and I, we see this blood trail. He was running away and everything. And me and him go pick this guy up. We have him in our arms. And one of the firefighters is like, does he have a pulse? And we're like, I don't know. Uh, good question. So we put him back down. Luckily, we didn't get him like in the ambulance. Right? <laughs> yeah, he was dead. He was dead. Oh, my God. <laughs> Just need to reiterate. <laughs> Goes back to ABC's, guys. Come on. Me and Elaine were partners at the very beginning of our careers. Yeah. We learned a lot. We got to learn somehow. <laughs> there, there were a lot of learning curves. <laughs> Still don't know enough, Carl. <laughs> Carl, was it you and me? <laughs> I was talking about this call last night with uh, the Ochoa brothers. Was it you and me that left a stretcher at UNM and had rolled up on a nine echo? No, it was not. But I have a similar story. But so do I. <laughs> <laughs> So nine echo is a is a cardiac arrest. Uh, go ahead, Carl. <laughs> Mine's not as intense, but we I don't even remember who my partner was. We left the hospital. Um, it was one of the back to back call days, and it was actually a, a severe allergic reaction that we we're responding to. We get on scene, get ready to pull the gurney out. No gurney to be found. <laughs> <laughs> So we had to call. Uh, That's a, dis- the worst. Yeah, we had to call dispatch. And be like, we, you need to send someone else out to this. Um, we're gonna find the patient, and we still had all our bags and everything. Just had to carry them, but needed someone with a gurney. Ours was. Um, I don't remember the call at all, but it was with Reed's Leslie, and uh, we were we were like, they just got out of rust, so we weren't too far away. And we go to the back, and we're like, oh, the, you know, it's a shock. You're like, we forgot something, and so. <laughs> And so I was like, all right, what I'm going to do is I'll take all the bags. I'll go inside, start seeing the patient, go get the gurney. And so he's like, okay. So he runs back real quick, gets the gurney, and it works out okay. But it's it's a pretty That's shocking funny. thing to see no gurney. Yeah, <laughs> when you roll hey, up. That's it. When we were at the hospital, there's like the two. So you, if you walk straight down the hallway, there's the double doors to triage. But you can go the other way through triage and then cut back through one of the units. And that's how we ended up leaving our gurney. It was in, we had parked it in the hall next to triage and then we went out a different way than we came in. So we just missed it. Have you ever forgotten any other equipment? Life packs. Oh, yeah. Blue bags. <laughs> oxygen packs. tank on scene. <laughs> Never forgotten a, a, a new person, Ooh. a rookie. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I actually got left when I was doing my <laughs> when I was in paramedic school. I was doing my rotation, and man, I was just talking so high about these girls too, and I forgot about this. They <laughs> they left me at the hospital, and they got like three blocks away, and I walked out, and I was like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> so I had to call them back. <laughs> I'm not the man. Yeah. I don't think don't I Don't forget your box troll, guys. Come yeah. on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I hated that. And then when you were then you were your field operations supervisor, you like lived back there. Uh, how long did you manage for? Oh, very short amount of time. I was like, I think it was, <laughs> I didn't like it. Didn't. They redacted. They were like, just kidding. <laughs> no, I didn't. No, I they like, needed him. <laughs> I was like, I was like, I don't want to do this. So 
So I was like, I think it was like October to maybe probably a little bit. It was like August to January. That was it. And so I trained a couple people and like, I, there was this one, this one guy, he, I think he, he's doing better now, but I, or at least he was. I mean, this was you know, seven years ago or something like that. Um, and, uh, he was just, he just got his license like three months before starting. And he just, he was the, he was actually the same guy that tried to do the, the, the lip, um, on the CP. <laughs> And he, I was like his third trainer because, you know, they just keep handing it to it. I was like, I was like, just give, him, just give him time. Keep him with me. We'll be okay. We'll just figure this out. I'll just give me time with him. And then there was like, man, you wouldn't believe some of the stupid stuff that we do as medics. Like I had best friends that did things. And I'm like, what? I remember one day I had, I'm going to, I'm just going to throw him under the, the bus. Uh, Cash called me, what called me one time. And um, I'm on, I'm zero one that night. And he calls me. He's like, yeah. So we got out of this call and all four of our tires are slashed. So somebody, I was like, do you want us to call PD? And I'm like, yes, please call PD. What the hell's happening? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> they went in the exit of a apartment complex. <laughs> so it wasn't four tires. <laughs> it was all six tires. <laughs> oh. oh, that's pretty. Bad. Oh, that's pretty bad. <laughs> but that was that was that one was funny. But there's just a lot of things like that. There, I was just like, yeah, I don't know. I I say that I say that I didn't like doing that as much. But now I just I, I'm also going to be uh, chief of my residency, and so now I'm back in a similar position. So we'll see. Yeah. Yep. Real real smart there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's awesome, dude. That's really cool that you're that you're up there and that you're progressing so well. That's a that's a no joke move, you know, going into med school. It's it's a it's a, a very much a marathon, because I remember when I was also thinking about this with your with your other podcast I was listening to, we we're talking about how we work overtime, right? I remember you remember mandatory overtime, and then I remember working when you didn't have mandatory overtime, and all of us worked the overtime anyway. So I was like, why are you making it mandatory? We do it anyway. <laughs> but I know most know. of us do it anyways. Yeah. And then like I, I remember also with med students and like residents are like, you mean I have to work twelve hour shifts? That's inhumane. I'm like. <laughs> What? We were working four or five thirteens, and sometimes there was twenty fours. There was. What are you talking about, man? This is that's fine. Anyway, there was so, a. Good. Oh, I was just gonna say there was a period of time when me, me and you and I were working together. We were seeing each other way more often than our significant others for like years. <laughs> yeah, the first the first year of my marriage, Kira worked days, I worked nights. We'd have like a day or two a week where we'd maybe do something, but like there was times where we didn't even see each other for weeks. But it's like kind of the same thing now. I don't miss those days. Yeah. That's what's unfortunate. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it is. I did it again. Yeah, like, that you know, is. You know what sounds like a good idea? Let's prolong this with less pay now. <laughs> yeah, let's keep this going. I was also interested in ICU <laughs> fellowship. And the ICU fellowship is the same thing. Six days a week, 12-hour shifts for two years. I'm not. I, I, I just I, don't. I don't understand how they think that that's feasible for people. People do it. They do it all the time. But man. I know it's a competition, right? Like you've got to be the biggest and the best to get it and to do it. Yeah, but I, I just uh, we want to have kids, and I want to see my wife. I, I mean, I'm 33 now, and my attendings are younger than me. So nothing about our either one of our careers, any of our careers, has been normal. We've all kind of gone separate ways within medicine. None of us mm-hmm. are normal. Period. No shit. That's true. <laughs> In EMS, I think you get a lot of the weirdos, right? <laughs> Weird people. It's really nice though in the, in the hospital though, because like in my new role, I get along with the medics so like I'm just like because they know me, I know them, I can give them shit. Like I remember there's this one firefighter that comes in, 
every time he comes in, I'm like, we're closed. Oh. <laughs> no. and, then, and then there's another one that I, every time we walk by, I just slip them off. That's like the, the universal hello, yeah. you know? Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Uh, I definitely miss the camaraderie of the 911 system. Um, I'm finding it a little more in my position where we fly uh, more regularly to certain areas, you know, getting to know the nurses a little more. So it's coming back a little bit in this in this career, but still hard. It, you, you still have to find that fine line between being professional and <laughs> when you can just joke around and well, shoot shit with people. Right now, this truly just feels like we're back at the service and we're just chilling in the supervisor's office and venting about how our night went or like, in the charting room yeah you know no. how many hours of overtime were spent in the charting room yep we all got in there and everybody would pile in we'd all be hanging out and doing the same exact thing this look, at this, like. look at this trip look tiny, at this like, trip eight by five room and there's like 12 of us yeah. sitting at the desk space yeah. in the dark most of the time because yeah. we're all just like ah fuck life fuck this and then you're like, trying to concentrate on something serious someone says something funny everyone's bust out laughing like son of a bitch i know you're like, shut up for a second, okay? We all try to talk over each other. We're all like, oh, I got a story now, too. I got a story as well. Yeah, I'm going to one-up that. I got this. <laughs> Guess what? I found up the butthole today. <laughs> so let's talk about whether or not you would do this again. If you could start all over, would you do it again? Yes. I, uh, then like, once again, it's a love-hate relationship, but um, I love medicine. I don't, I don't really say it very often, I guess, and I, and I need to appreciate this a little bit but um, and maybe have some more self-confidence, but I believe I'm actually good at what I do as well. And so to go there, I mean, and also medics can run codes better than some doctor, a lot of doctors, to be honest. It's, it's pretty amazing. And so then to go in there and be comfortable with code and do this, and, and I do I do like it. There's days when, like right now, this is one of my longest stretches. I'm very tired. I'm exhausted, but... Um, I'm doing something that I do really like and I get to do some cool things. I do get to make a difference in some people's lives. Um, even if it's just like, in my opinion, in, in my new situation and you guys too, when you're on the, in the field is, is, or wherever you are, is to have that good bedside manner too, right? Like there's doctors that don't have that bedside manner. It's just happened recently where this mom or a girl who, um, had a very traumatic thing. She ended up being better, but, um, mom didn't like the attending. So I was like trying to smooth it over and I was in there with mom a lot and, they thanked me a little, like tremendously when they left and stuff. And so uh, I would do it again. There's some things I would do differently. I, I question sometimes if I do it differently where I would like go to med school earlier, um, work as an AMT before I went to paramedic school, um, things like that. But then I also realize, would I be what I am? Like, would I be where I am today? Would I, like, maybe there's things like I would be that, that doctor who can't really run a code very well or I, I wouldn't have that bedside manner or yeah those kind of things and so but i would i would do it again yeah no you are who you are today because of the experiences that you had i think that puts you up a foot higher than everybody else that's in your program because you have that experience even though you're not going in as young as everybody else you have the ability to have trauma bonded with yourself and you know that you can handle anything that comes at you and still do it with a smile on your face and that's not something that everybody has. We are able to learn the book knowledge. Everyone has that capability. You need experience to gain that bedside manner that you talk about. Um, you don't have it right out the gate. No one does. 
Um, so obviously that was a huge benefit to where you are at now. Um, one thing I'll say about our partnership and friendship that we have, Eli, is we've kind of pushed each other to do better. Following you, seeing how you were a medic, every time we'd get done with a critical call, I always watched you say, hey, what can we do better? You, We would ask the docs, we would ask the nurses, hey, what can I do differently to make this situation better? I carried that into being a medic. And then we had a competition like, who's going to get critical care team first? Uh, and then we both just moved on and got the FPC and then both worked at a flight service and then just kept moving up the ladder. We have a good, healthy competition. I'll let you win the doctor one, okay? Okay. <laughs> I, st- I still do that. I'm glad you, it sounds like <laughs> it sounds like you guys had a good. Uh, you said a good, healthy relationship. That's good because when me and Richard were partners, it was like, <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, when Richard and I were partners, it was like I think it was. Oh man. Oh, now I don't know if it was Anthony or if it was Richard. I think it was Anthony, and we had like. Like, let's bring in 50 chicken nuggets and see who can eat them first. It was Anthony. <laughs> I did it with Anthony. Every code, we had to get a chicken, uh, a, a, a Wendy's Baconator. And one day we had two codes. We had to get two Baconators. <laughs> oh, that's rough. I was so sick. But I was him. Yeah, it was the 50 chicken nuggets. And then we did the party donuts. We both had to eat a party donut in a shift. <laughs> the party donuts then. are the like, big six Donuts each donut. Oh, it was yeah. terrible. I had to do that. We did. Yeah, it was terrible. We also did a box of Krispy Kreme, a whole Dion pizza each. Yeah, he did that a lot. Oh, we did the. They had fifty cent corn dog days, and we would do like ten or twenty corn dogs each. <laughs> cool. <Shoot. laughs> it was bad. Um, so, if you could give one piece of advice to either your younger self or somebody new coming into the field, what would you give them? Something that does come to mind is, you know, uh, it's things do end up working out, right? Like you, you go in there, do your best, take it seriously. And so that's what I even still tell myself now, you know, like we have bad days and all you can do is go in there and do your best, but that doing your best is do your best, right? Like we do things that affect people's lives and doing your best means that you gotta, you know, study and try to know what you're doing and then you go in there and every day just try to do your best because you're going to have a horrible call or you're going to have a really frustrating call and then the next one still got to go in there and try to do your best um very similar you're gonna get better if you want to be better where in emt school like you have the medic walk in the flight medic and it's like they're this awe-inspiring person and then you get to that level and then it feels like you feel you still feel like that EMT basic. You still feel like you're not there, but you keep trying. I still I still feel like an EMT basic. Yeah, Tr- truly. Like <laughs> yeah, it, I'm sure at your level you do too. Yeah, there are a lot of things. L- legitimately though, like it doesn't matter. Yeah, you're, we're constantly. You should be constantly learning in this field. You should never right. stop your education. I, I still, um, what Carl was saying earlier is about breaking down calls and trying to do better. This is, I guess, another piece of advice I'd give not only myself, but to other people is I still do that. I still do that to this day after a code, after a critical patient, I will ask everyone, I'll go up to the nurses who are new even and be like, you know, how's this? And they're always surprised too. They're always like, what are you doing? I actually had the other day a tech 
why I asked our respiratory therapist or took the think of both of them recently and they both said the same similar thing I was like All right, well, what, 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 what am I going to tell you I'm like you can learn from anybody you know MTB MTB doesn't stand for empty my trash bitch you know empty <laughs> 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 my trash bitch <laughs> Let's stand for that. I haven't heard that one yeah. yet <laughs> and so you always you can learn from anyone treat everyone with respect and always try to get better and ask her less you don't know what you don't know those are all really good points i want to kind of end on a higher note so are there any calls that are your absolute favorite like something that you just think about and it brings a smile to <laughs> eli's got one already i could tell uh anything that that just you love so much and it's one of your favorite memories i've been waiting to talk about this one and carl and i brought it up uh, that we were going to talk about it too so we had this guy he was drunk and this is a little bit where we laugh at dark things but anyway so this guy usually yeah <laughs> this guy was gonna kill himself it was suicidal he tried to he was really drunk and tried to drown himself in a bathtub and it didn't work he was fine uh but he's super duper drunk and we get into the back of the ambulance and his family's super worried his girlfriend's there his mom's there like is he gonna be okay well, yeah, he's, you know he's suicidal and stuff so they're standing on the curb. We have the door shut. And this guy is just, he's making jokes even with us. And he's not like answering something. And, and Carl just wake him up. And the guy just goes, just fucking punch me in the face to, to wake him up more. And we just start laughing just because the guy was giving us jokes. And Carl opens the back door, laughing his ass off. And then you just see mom, girlfriend, sister. So they're like, like just watching Carl get out of the back. They were pissed. <laughs> They actually, I think they actually called. Yeah, um, they called one. one. <laughs> <laughs> so mad at him, and I was like, I had to go out and be like, I'm so sorry, and everything. Like, but uh, it just brings a smile to my face because you guys know. I mean, you guys have heard this uh, podcast already, and Carl's laugh is unique. And so, um, <laughs> I know it's awesome, right? Then seeing him laugh like that, oh, oh, and then and then working with Anthony Mar Brandon and eating with, to celebrate their cardiac arrest. We had to have the Wendy's Baconator. And uh, that was the last time I had a, two Baconators in one day, and I never had it again. But <laughs> I don't think I've ever had two in one day. I, <laughs> I don't know many people that have. <laughs> Mine's a, a super simple one. Uh, foreign body up the nose. This little four-year-old girl put a crayon up her nose, and every time she would breathe, she would whistle. It was just <laughs> super cute. And that is just a super simple call, super simple situation. No one's life was in danger, no life limb or eyesight. And it was just a nice, entertaining call to look back on. That's awesome. Probably one of my most memorable calls is uh, PD called us for an intoxicated female downtown. And it was late and she was in a party dress. Um, and they just they just called because she was intoxicated. She was walking down the street. They didn't feel comfortable with her being out. They felt she was too intoxicated. And, you know, uh, we'd been running all day, so I was tired. And I was like, you want us to transport somebody who's intoxicated that doesn't need to be tying up the system? <sighs> okay, we'll do this. Let's get her in the ambulance. You know, like, I'm already jumping in the back. I've Let's do this. Let's get it over with. And it was a, a male officer and a female officer. And this lady's pissed. She doesn't want to go to the hospital either. She is stumbling. So she gets mad because they're trying to get her over to the ambulance. And she takes off the hair tie that she had around her wrist. And she chucks it at the officer. And I was like, cool. 
she's not going to come with me anymore. And the male officer's like, come on, stop messing around. Like, you're still going to go to the hospital. And she was like, no, fuck you guys. And she tries running. And I was like, cool, we're not going to take this one. And they catch her and they're like, no, you're going to the hospital. Like, stop fucking around, you know, basically. So he grabs her by the arm and he walks her to the back of the ambulance. And she's like, let go of me, let go. And he gets her to the back of the ambulance. All the doors are already open. She's finally, she's pissed. She's had enough. She turns around and she socks this officer in the face. And I'm like, cool, I'm not going to take this one anymore. (laughs) He's like, you know what? Now you're going to jail. (laughs) I was like, do you want an ice pack for that boo-boo buddy? Like, (laughs) come on. That's pretty good. I got a, I got a question. <laughs> this reminded me of a What's question up? I wanted to ask you guys. Uh, what is some of that, like, so this just reminded me of this. What is a, a, a very colorful insult that you have been told? So, like, one time I got called by a drunk girl, a boy George-looking motherfucker. Boy George. <laughs> uh, I haven't had any colorful ones. It's For me, it's just, like, you fat bitch, basically, is what it comes down to. There's not been any creative ones for me. I'm like, come on, try again. At least make it fun, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I can't, yeah, I can't think of anything unique that someone's ever. Do you know of one that? No, not I for you. Not. But oh. I got uh, there's other ones. Like I don't know why you've not been. Ha- it, it's just your All face. Right. So it's just my baby. In my career, <laughs> I have had only one patient, which has actually surprised me. Only one patient who has told me, and it's ironic, not to touch her because I'm gay. And we were transporting her. I don't even remember like what we, I think she had cellulitis in the hand or something because she'd been shooting up and she was hep C positive. So it was like, you're telling me not to touch you because I'm gay and you're the fucking contagious one. That's great, right? But my partner at the time, uh, we walked into this patient's room and she was like, Oh, no, no, no. I don't want her in the back with me. I want her. Like, I want you in the back with me. And she was like, I'm also gay. And she was like, oh, oh, you didn't, you don't look gay. And my partner had two gay moms. So it was funny. And it, like, the camaraderie, and I'll never forget her for that. That was awesome. When we got to the receiving facility... (laughs) We were walking in with a gurney, and I'm like, I'm still kind of pissed. I'm a little chuffed about it. And we walk in, and I was like, who's this patient's nurse? And it's like 2 o'clock in the morning. And you hear from the behind the nursing station, it's me. And I was like, oh, this is great. This is not going to get any better. <laughs> yes. And <laughs> all of the nurses were like, we're all gay tonight <laughs> just for that reason. <laughs> So that was a really cool, probably one of my favorite stories that started out kind of shitty and ended up really good. Nice. Um, Do you guys have any charities or any support groups or anything that you'd like to talk about? Mine is just double downing on uh, one of your previous podcasts, uh, Rob and Skull for Hope. That is one that I have been, I was even at his TED Talks that he did. I was in the theater. Um, he, it's a very good thing that he does representing that EMS and first responders in general, and we're bad at dealing with mental health. 
I've had my low points where after work, I would just go drinking to try and forget everything. Um, I think it's something that everyone kind of has their minute in, if not worse. Uh, and you have to learn to manage it appropriately. At this point in time, anytime I have a bad day due to a patient or a situation, I actually refuse to drink. Because I don't want to go down a rabbit hole like that. Sure, but, that's a that's a smart move. Yeah, I have uh, my own collection of Skull for Hopes bracelets. Um, <laughs> I've even been able to give Macklemore. He has a Skull for Hope bracelet, whether he knows oh, it or shit. not. That's cool. <laughs> I, I handed it to him when he was in uh, doing a show downtown. But uh, yeah, it's a very good organization, and uh, there's a lot of support there. Rob's done a good thing. He has, I agree, 100%. So I uh, was going to say the same one, but there's something interesting about with Rob. Uh, so I also, you know, have Skulls for Hope shirt. Um, I want to get some fit scrubs, but I got to get fit first. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's something that, is, that I listened to Rob's episode and, and, and it hit me a little bit more. And I, I do kind of remember some of his podcast things in the past, but I, I guess it just brought it more to my the front of my mind again. And it's that, you know, Rob, when you see him, right, you you were on the scene with him. He is this super fit, tall guy, medic, as you know, and then um, I like tattoos. The guy's got tattoos on his hands. I'm like, this guy's a badass. And you're like, and then you you hear about even like his struggles and you're like, yeah, man, it's, it's you know, everybody, you know. And so I, I like that. Uh, I like what he's doing. I also have, you know, some of his merch. And then there's this other thing that I like that's going on. I think it's also bringing awareness. It's this podcast called 911 Nonsense that. Uh... <laughs> Thanks, bro. <laughs> Just a little shout out. <laughs> I actually wanted to touch on, and I had forgot that you had talked about, but you had talked about when you went drinking um, at a camping site and you didn't realize that it was going to come up. And you saying that actually brought up a story to me. I don't drink very often. I'm not a big drinker. My family has alcohol problems, so I generally try to stay away with it, uh, away from it. So I drink maybe, I don't know, two, three times a year. And it's usually when I'm surrounded by family and I feel comfortable enough. Um, but one of the a few years ago, I got absolutely wasted. And I say white girl wasted. But the entire time, like after I had gotten to a certain extent, I started crying about a little girl that we had had that got bit in the face by a dog. And, you know, at the time I was and it's funny because my wife was kind of everybody was kind of laughing at me. It was like, uh, you're upset because I the only thing I could say when I was intoxicated was, you know, animals are animals like animals are gonna bite why why do we do these things that put us in positions where we're gonna get bit by animals but that was my that was kind of like my upset that I had seen this little girl with her face ripped up and I think also too having a similar experience because I have a scar uh, right here that most of you guys have seen I'm sure and that's from a dog also when I was really young it's just funny how we don't know that it's going to come out until it comes out and we don't know how it's going to come out until it comes out. And, it, you know, that night I was just upset and crying about how animals are animals. And we shouldn't be around animals because animals are going to bite us. But that was my kind of expressing that sadness, you know. Kind of weird. <laughs> but I didn't think about that until you just said it. Yeah. It just comes out like, I mean, like you see something and then all of a sudden your mind's like, you can get a smell, you can get a sound. It's all kinds of things. So 
It's interesting. Oh, I kind of, I feel bad because I was mean. I wasn't mean. I went in to try on a pair of shoes in the mall and the lady came out and she was young. She was like, I don't know, 19, maybe if that. And she had come out and she's like, can I help you? Like, is there a specific size that you want to try on? And she had, you, she had probably just eaten lunch and then she had used Listerine. And I was like, oh, oh no, no, I'm good. I'm so sorry. Like trying not to be rude, but I couldn't, it was making me nauseous, the smell of Listerine on her breath because of the, the ETOH friends that we transport who drink Listerine. Like it's so small, like so strong and Oh, <laughs> I felt so bad because she was like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. And I was like, no, 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 it's not your fault. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, I felt bad about that lady, too. I also wanted to touch on just one thing that's just very interesting. And uh, this gets a little bit just comes to mind. Right. So you guys all talk about everybody talks about not drinking and not wanting to drink. We all kind of a lot of people go to that. But the way like you actually get. um really into alcoholism and addicted to it is there's there, the, the way the dopamine pathway works in your head is two different ways that you really get down it is when you are drinking to feel better or drinking to forget right so those two things trigger a certain pathway in your head with dopamine to give you that more positive response and so somebody once told me you never you only drink to feel even better not to feel better so like you don't like you got to be like be in a good mindset stuff like that you don't drink to feel better so don't use it as like a medicine because that's how you can get down that pathway. That makes sense, doctor. Thank you. <laughs> and another thing I think is interesting too is that, and this is just coming up again. I'm sorry if I'm taking us off track a little bit. No. Uh, is that uh, Carl and I have very different um, belief systems. And when you come into PTSD and having that support uh, in your life, you know, everybody has a different approach to things and, uh, I think it's just interesting, you know, Carl and me are very good friends. He's, he's one of, he's probably my best friend and, uh, we are complete opposites. Carl's an atheist. I'm very uh, strong Christian, or at least I like to say that lift more bro. And so we have this different ways of going about it and, uh, different approaches to things. And so I uh, just, uh, but find that support system and do either of you guys see counselors? So yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have. I have gone through, done the formal counseling sessions. Um, if you're ready for it, they're good for you. But you have to be ready for it. Um, one of the best things is having having people that you can talk to that understand the situations that you've gone through. That has probably been the number one thing that's helped out. Those meetings after work of us just bullshitting around, talking to talking about our stories this is probably the best thing and i did do some and i need to do more and i am aware of this i get told by my wife and then with rob's rob's uh episode i was like yeah i need to do that too and so but i did do it but i did one of those online app ones and whole don't necessarily do that very cooker cut or cook whatever cookie cutter cookie cutter and uh <laughs> did not tell did not go very well. Like Carl said, they didn't know any. They didn't know. Like they, they just don't even know how to approach it, right? So, I did a very specific uh, individual therapist one that it it did wonders for me. It helped me out a lot. That's good. That's good to hear. And I'm glad you guys are able to find the help that you've needed in the way that you've needed it. 
And to what you were saying, Carl, I, th- I think, you know, us finding help comes down to us also, to recognizing that we need the help and to not being afraid because it is going to be uncomfortable. You have to be okay with being uncomfortable. That's your, that's your next step to getting better. You're going to be uncomfortable for a little bit, but once you open up, you're going to feel a little bit better. One of, one of my ways of feeling better is talking, right? And there's a very fine line, and I was going to kind of mention, mention this earlier. There's a very fine line for us between venting and bitching. And I think a lot of us, a lot of people from the outside, take it as bitching when we're venting. And, you know, I can see that. I can see how that could be construed that way. But again, that's opening up the dialogue that's, you know, we're not bitching about how much we hate our job. We love what we do, obviously. I've been doing it for going on 19 years. You know, you guys have both been doing it for a long time. And you may have stepped away from 911. I've stepped away from 911, but we are progressing our care. We're moving on to bigger, better things. And that doesn't mean that we're leaving because we couldn't handle it. Uh, in all aspects, for us, we're going to somewhere where we can make a bigger difference, in my opinion. And I think people struggle with knowing that, you know, especially looking on the outside in. Made me think about us in the residency right now because a lot of people are like, man, you just bitch a lot. And I'm like, I should probably ask them if we're bitching or if we're venting. Right. And that's really all it is, is just changing the perspective. If I'm talking about something, it's probably because I feel the need to talk about it, not because I just want to get it out. Not, and not because I hate it. Obviously, I don't hate it. I've been doing this for so long. You know, obviously, you don't hate it. You're becoming a doctor. Obviously, you don't hate it. You're going into nursing school. You know, this is, we're still in medicine. Yeah. Well, one thing I actually want to play on that is uh, about me going into nursing school is I love the job. I love the license. I've done so much with my medic license. I've been able to travel the world with it, work at all kinds of different levels. But as you guys know, the compensation as a medic, it's not there for what we do. And that, that is my, the big reason, like if I stay medic and make as much as a nurse, I absolutely would. But right now for as long as I've been in it, I'm making as much as a new grad nurse. And that's the higher end of medics, you know, it sucks that that is the determining factor, but it's also going to open a lot of doors to do different things. Um, it's not even like the licenses. I consider them both entry level medicine, um, but they are designed in completely different ways. Medics are meant for emergencies and emergencies only. Critical care, like that is their specialty. Nursing, they can also do the emergency and critical care, but they are day to day, like the nursing home, rehab facilities. Um, there's so much more you can do with that license across the board. I agree. That leaves a lot of open doors. Whatever you tell yourself, Carl. (laughs) Yes, doctor. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, Before we close out, are there any topics that you guys wanted to talk about? I will add when I graduate, I'm going to have zero debt. So (laughs) (laughs) I'm in storm with the debt. I am just two, two, uh, just little quick things that I wanted to like, just thought of when we were planning this was my first day working with Carl. We were headed back to base and I was sitting there on the call and I'm like, man, I really wish you could remember everything from paramedic school. And we were at that light, I don't know what commands you or something. And, uh, he goes, if you're going to be my medic, sure as hell better. 
birthday. Well, birthday. Now you can be my medic, okay? Well, uh, I don't know. I still don't know enough. I never will. And then also, uh, and that, that that's a running joke between us. <laughs> yeah. This has also been very good for me. I think that there's also with also saying Rob's again. I know I keep bringing that one up, but it's because I think me moving out to Orlando, I don't, you know, I don't have a lot of the same friends I had. I mean, I have my residency friends, but like they also move on a lot. We don't see each other a lot with some things. And then um, uh, I think that this uh, this really helped me, even just being here, talk with you guys, laugh a little bit, and I think it was uh, it was a good thing. So. Well, it doesn't have to be recorded, man. You can call anytime. <laughs> It's good. I like us getting together. I miss doing that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's it good. Is good. And that you know, that's kind of the push for again doing this is to get people to open up and talk and just to chat, see how we're doing. Uh, one of my managers always says, you know, you are your brother's keeper. So let's keep track of each other and make sure that we're all doing okay and uh, not just the ones we know, but also the ones we don't know. Lift each other up and keep pushing forward agreed and be that be that approachable person yes you guys know those you guys remember those medics when you were those 25 year medic frumpy ass like, medics <laughs> you don't want to ride in the truck with him don't be that <laughs> it's true <laughs> all right guys well thank you so much for joining me today i had an absolute blast i was so excited to see you guys again and it's been nice and i love catching up well thank you for having me same this has been awesome yeah, no problem. Uh, we'll uh, probably invite you guys again later on down the road. <laughs> All right. Just let me know. Glad to do it. Glad to do it. Yeah. All right, guys. So you guys right. have a good day. We'll talk to you later. You too. Take care. Right. Right. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. Before we wrap up, we have a few important announcements to share with you. Firstly, we're excited to announce the launch of our brand new 911 Nonsense Facebook group page. It's a community where everyone can go to connect, share ideas, discuss topics from the show, and get all of the most recent updates about the podcast. We'd love to have you join us and be part of the conversation. Next, we want to ask you to rate and review our podcast on your preferred platform. Your feedback means the world to us and helps us reach a wider audience. By rating and reviewing the show, you'll be supporting us in a big way and helping others discover 911 Nonsense. If you enjoy what we do and would like to support the podcast even further, we have a few options available. You can visit samspursuit.com to find the links to our 911 Nonsense merch page and our recently released Noon Gear page. Every contribution, no matter the size, goes a long way in helping us continue to better the podcast. We know that not everyone is comfortable being on the podcast, but we still want to hear your stories and experiences. If you have a compelling story and would like to share it to be read by me in a future episode, please reach out to us via email at 911nonsense at gmail.com or through our website's contact section. If you choose to be anonymous, we'll make sure to respect your privacy while sharing your story in a way that resonates with our audience. Thank you again for tuning in. We truly appreciate your support and look forward to bringing you more engaging content in the future. See you next week.